Welcome to the Batir We Go podcast, coming at you from Batir We Go Studios in beautiful Dallas, Texas. I just realized I was supposed to cover the plans before we started this, <laughs> but it's not supposed to freeze until like 2 a.m. Wow, something that our viewers literally will not care about. I think they, I think they love to know what's going on in our lives. Mm. I mean, that's why they listen, right? Honestly, Joe... I, I don't know why people listen to this. It, it keeps me up at night. It's very confusing to me. I'm sorry that you lose sleep over <laughs> wondering why people listen to us. Hey, want to know something really fun? Yeah, tell me. This comes out on our anniversary. It does. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. Right. We, seven years. Seven years. Do they call it the seven-year itch? Is that what they call it? What's that? Why, is, why does the seventh year get such a bad rap? Do we, do we need to be, like, preparing ourselves? You know what's weird about that? Everybody talks about lucky number seven. Right, so I don't understand. is, like, the winner on old slot machines. Right, so I don't get why seven, the seventh year of marriage... I mean, I, it truthfully must be, like, an arbitrary number that has just I don't know, been decided. Maybe in some, in some cultures, it's a bad number. It's oh, an unlucky that. number. You know, I could probably Google it, but I don't really feel like it. In I'm... some cultures, 13 is a lucky number. What has been <laughs> the hardest part of marriage and the easiest part of marriage? The hardest part of marriage is being away from you <laughs> every day that I'm at work. In the kitchen? And the easiest part is having you as my wife. <laughs> okay, same question for you. Hmm. The hardest part is still not knowing how to explain to people what you do for a living. Because <laughs> you'd think after a decade of knowing each other, I would have figured it out by now, but I really haven't. Not for lack of trying either. I don't even know what I do. That's true. Really. <laughs> Every day is a new day. Uh, Every just, day is a know. new, exciting right. exciting prospect. Right. My favorite thing about being married is that you intellectually challenge me every day and i love being intellectually challenged and so every day is a fun day of learning something new and talking about fun and complicated issues that's great and i've never found anyone else who will do that with me i'm glad that (laughs) that our marriage is intellectually stimulating for you it is hey not everyone can say that i don't mean to intellectually stimulate you all the time so i'm sorry (laughs) if it babe you can intellectually (laughs) stimulate me Anytime. Okay, sounds great. We will cut that out. So we're not we're not here to talk about marriage things, but since <laughs> we're not we're here, here to talk about us, I think where the seven year itch comes from is while we were doing doing the pre marriage class, they talked about how you are going to be married to five different people in your life, and that is who you are changes. And you grow as an individual. And I think that there is something in that like seven year, five to seven year time frame where I think people start to change. Do you feel like we've changed a lot in seven years? I don't know. I don't feel like you've changed. I feel like I've maybe changed, but I feel like we've changed and grown together. Yeah, I think so. To where like we've, we, we have changed because obviously everybody changes, but it hasn't brought us farther apart. I feel like it's brought us closer. Anyway, I think there's more pressing 
pressing issues going on in the world right now right, right, than, right. than how great our marriage is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe we should try and help other people. Not with marital advice. Call in with your marriage help. <laughs> we we can, are pros. We'll gladly, we'll gladly do an episode all about marriage if you send in questions. But you actually asked four questions specific for this podcast, specific for kind of everybody out there in the world right now who's who's got a little bit of a pain. Um, okay, so here's real talk. Real talk with Allie This is Allie when Batier. Allie sits down and you, I look the kids straight in the eyes and I say, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm going to shoot you straight. I am tired. I'm done with people complaining about the gas prices. I get it. They're high. They're they're higher than they've been in a while. Uh, but until you properly understand basic economics, for one, <laughs> or two, highly complicated economics, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Okay. I hope you knew that you were going to get slapped around listening to our <laughs> podcast today. I'm done. I, if I had a nickel for every text message I get of people complaining to me about oil and gas prices, I would have a lot of nickels. Okay. Too many nickels. No one needs nickels. <laughs> Anywho. So um, look, we've been in or we haven't been in anything. The U.S. has been watching from afar. This uh, this thing going on this invasion and... of Ukraine. Look, we've known about it. We have not discussed it on this podcast for obvious reasons. One, we are not experts of foreign policy. We but don't there have are a... a lot of those out there on the internet right now. <laughs> right, just go to your Facebook feed and you'll be able to you'll see find some. a few. Right, um, it, it is sad. It is uh, scary. It is devastating. Uh, we have absolutely no control about it, and we don't want to make a light of it. So we're not even going to talk about that. However, that does have a little bit to do of what no, we're remember, talk about. this is a comedy podcast. <laughs> but, a comedy podcast. But I am a scientist, so every once in a while we do Science Time with Dr. Joe. Right. This is Science Time with Dr. Joe. I um, asked the interwebs. I asked the powers that be. The internet. Um, I was like, yo, I have seen a lot of people talking about gas prices. Since Joe is an expert on this stuff, I wanted to see what the general public's top questions are regarding the current high gas prices, how the oil and gas market works, et cetera, et cetera. What would you like to know about the gas situation? And I got, uh, honestly, did I, (laughs) I actually got, I did not think people were going to answer this question. So I was preparing my ego to get a slap. Uh, We got (laughs) eight, but only, Eight questions but is a only, lot. But only four people. <laughs> four or five people with Everybody eight questions. Everybody gets two questions. We got some duplicates in here. Um, but however, they are good, and I wanted to talk about it anyway, so we're just going to get into it. Let's do it. Dr. Joe, are you prepared to be the expert on this topic? I am. I think I think we need to do like one of those little sections, because every time we say Dr. Joe, I always make that joke. I'm like, Dr. Joe, medicine woman. So you want to make from Doctor Quinn? No, I knew that, but I don't understand what you're saying about make a section. We need to make like a little soundbite and like throw it in, and it's like Doctor Joe, medicine woman. What I am hearing you say is that you would like to give me more work to do in the editing booth. What I'm saying is, I know how much you love editing, so I want to give you more ways to express your joy and artistic talent. 
in the editing booth. Wow, what a servant leader. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. <laughs> would you like to sing your theme song? <laughs> I've already <laughs> sang it twice. Well, I need a better one. Dr. Joe, medicine woman. I feel like you are appropriating an ethnic accent, and I don't know how I feel about it. Try, Am I? Try it one more time. <laughs> Really? I'm not going to cut any of this? <laughs> and it's just going to be you singing this song in different ways for 10 minutes. <laughs> Dr. Joe, medicine woman. <laughs> I hate it, but I'll do it for you. I was going to say in no particular order, but no, I am going to do it the particular order. <clears throat> Number one, is the rise in prices that we're currently seeing due to more inflation or what is happening in Ukraine? That question is a yes and yes answer. Inflation itself, my understanding is that it is all kind of based on supply and demand. And right now we have a lower supply of the raw feedstock for oil, for gasoline, that is oil. So we have a lower supply of oil than the demand that is out there. On top of that, Russia produces on the order of 10 to 15 million barrels of oil a day. The worldwide amount of oil produced is around 100 to 110 million barrels per day. So they produce about, say, 10% of the world's oil, maybe 10, 20%, somewhere in that realm. But because of everything going on, they are producing less oil. And recently, the U.S. has banned all Russian oil imports. Now, we don't import very much Russian oil, but because of that, we obviously have less supply for us, and the rest of the world overall has less supply because our allies are going to be less inclined to be buying Russian oil now that we have banned Russian oil. Basically, if, if, if all the oil in the world is a pie, Rush, because Russia's shenanigans... They a, can't a, sell their a, piece of pie. A quarter of the pie is missing, and the world is now fighting over 75% of a pie. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Cool. Follow-up question. That's my and Allie's question. Um, why doesn't the U.S. produce more? So the U.S. is what we call a free market... And we can do whatever we want. So why wouldn't we produce more in order to meet the higher demand? Well, for the past, probably the past three to five years, the the biggest issue is that we have been overproducing. And so we've been producing more oil than what we really need. And because of that, oil prices have been lower than what is economic for many, many of these these current oil plays. And right now, both companies and the people who are giving companies money, those being private equity, they are saying you need to start turning a profit. You can't just increase your production. You need to actually return money. You actually need to make money. So most of these companies weren't making money before. And now these managers of the money are saying, hey, we need you to start bringing in money. Are you telling me the gas market right now is bananas because of external factors? We got a lot of stuff going on. But the 
pardon my uh, expression, but these old white dudes sitting in a boardroom are demanding more money and more profit, and thus we are all reaping the consequences of their greed? No, no, that Wait, is not, no, that that's is not exactly what I'm saying. What no, you said. that is not what I said. I said that for the past, say, five years, companies were operating at a loss. The idea here is like they drill a well and that well costs them $10 and they can start pulling money out of that well right now. In this year, they're going to generate $9 from that well. They're going to take that $9 add another dollar to it, go drill another well. So now they've spent $20. They've only pulled out nine, but now they're going to get another nine. So now they're at a net loss of $2. And they keep doing that. So they keep building more and more debt. But the windfall is that kind of every year they're getting more inventory. So now they've got the ability after doing that for so many years to start just bringing in money from all of these old wells. And that's a very basic way to put it because there's decline and there's like depreciation and all these other things. Now companies are saying, hey, you've spent on the order of $500 million. You've only brought in $300 million. We need you to start making up that extra $200 million that you've spent. We need that money back. And then we need to hopefully make a profit. And that just so happened to align with the Russian invasion of they've, Ukraine. They've started saying that a little bit before COVID, this was starting to come to light and people were starting to realize that a lot of the shale plays were not profitable and they needed to start, start turning a profit on them. Just for the average Joe... Uh, that we need Not a different the name. Joe. The, the average, average is listening. When you say an oil play, because they're not going to know what that I know vaguely because I am married to you. But an oil play is what? You can call it a specific investment. So I think it it's important to point out that this has been something that people have been seeing for a while. And another another analogy is is what they are being asked to do is operating cash flow meaning all the money they're bringing in, they do not spend over that. So that is like a typical American saying, whatever my monthly paycheck is, I am not going to spend more than that monthly paycheck. So they're not going to start accumulating debt, assuming that eventually they're going to have the ability to pay that debt off because of investments they're making. Assuming their debt has not changed with the invasion of Ukraine, and thus they are making more money with these crazy gas prices, they would be recuperating their loss at an extremely faster rate. Faster, yes. Oh, wait, hold on. Pause. I, I see your brain thinking. I want to f interject another question in here from the audience. Okay, it, let's hear it. Who sets the gas prices? Is it the gas station setting the gas prices? Is it the oil company setting the gas prices? Is it OPEC? The the gas prices, the prices you're paying at the pump, are set by that gas station. Most gas stations are mom and pop shops, so they're almost like a franchise where you go in and even if it's an ExxonMobil gas station, you are just buying your gas from ExxonMobil. 
and then you are selling it. So they sell it to you at a price, and then you add in a markup, just like how everybody adds in a markup whenever they buy something and then sell it. That markup that they're setting is decided on by the gas station. Does Exxon change the price of what they're selling to these gas stations as as variably as what we are seeing at the pump and thus causing the gas stations to have to keep rising their prices? So let me let me answer that with kind of a breakdown of what that price is. A good portion of that price is the raw feedstock, that being the oil. So as oil prices go up, gas prices are going to go up. But then there is also the cost of refining that oil, which is about 30 to 40% of that price. And then there is taxes on top of that. And those are variable, but those can be... Those are state, because they're state and federal taxes. and federal taxes. So depending on what state you live in, that ends up being more or less of that price. And then there's some variable prices that either, that things like transportation of all of that fuel, marketing, basic upkeep, there is a, a storage component to all of those prices. So all of that, all of that goes into the price per gallon that you pay at the pump, but probably the most variable part of that price is the raw feedstock, that being the oil. So when you ask, is a is the oil company changing the price of your gasoline? The answer is indirectly, yes, but they're also selling it at the price that, that they need to sell it at. Next question, when can we expect gas prices to go back down? That is a good question. With the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, that is going to reduce the amount of oil that's on the market. We need to find a way to replace that oil that is on the market, which means we need to make up another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil a day. And that's that's not exactly easy. For example... The best that we do as the U.S., we can fluctuate up to about two, maybe three million barrels a day. So that means that we need kind of three to four players that have the ability to ramp up production significantly. So we are the largest producer of oil and gas in the world. And I think we are The U.S.? The U.S. is. Wow. And I... I want to More say more than the Middle East. Well, we're the largest single country. Oh, okay. So OPEC has a significant amount of oil. And that what they does produce. OPEC stand for? And I, I'll just interject here before I forget. But that's something that I was reading. I think yesterday is that because um, OPEC is like a collection of the Middle Eastern countries and their oil supply, and they determine a lot of supply issues. I feel like. Correct me if I'm wrong. OPEC stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, and it is an intergovernmental organization of 13 countries. Most of those are located in the Middle East, and these 13 countries, they corroborate and set production limits for OPEC. 
So each country says, this is how much you're going to get to produce. And this is our production. What percentage of the global oil do they produce? Like what part, what is their market share? As I understand it is they, they're pretty heavy hitters in the sense of like, if they decide to flood the market, that has a massive effect on U.S. companies or vice versa. If they decide to cut back, that can raise prices as well. According to the EIA, it's like a government organization that's all about energy. I think it stands for Energy Information Association. According to them, OPEC member countries produce about 40% of the world's crude oil. Okay, so that's more, so is a, that more than us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was reading the other day that um, in 2020, like with the pandemic already fully underway, like we're trying to bail out the airlines, it, things are really bad. Trump made a deal or reached an agreement with OPEC that they would cut back on the supply for two years. Um, so as to give, because no one was driving, no one was flying, no one was going anywhere. So the gas companies were taking a hit on top of already having a bad past three to five years. And so what I read is that that, which hear me out, like not even getting into politics, it was a smart deal at the time because OPEC does have such a large sway in the global oil and gas market. And that was what was best to be done at the time. However, that agreement does not end, I think, until the end of the year. And so that is also affecting gas prices now is because they had agreed to cut back supply. And so the supply was lower anyway because of that agreement. I don't recall that agreement. But when it comes to something like that, though, I think that any president would have done that. Right, 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 right. I wasn't saying that he, <laughs> in an attempt to be neutral on a highly controversial president, I attempted to make a neutral statement that apparently you did not read as neutral. <laughs> no, I, I just, I just think that that. I'm I want saying to... is we shouldn't be mad at him for making that agreement back in 2020 because it's like hurting us now. At the time, any president would have considered that a wise decision to make considering the current circumstances. However, right now we are in completely different circumstances. To that point, OPEC has quarterly meetings. And I think, he, I think it might even be monthly meetings where they set their production limits. So they have been discussing ramping up production. And I think they did ramp up production maybe the last meeting or two meetings ago. So they are actively trying to increase production. And that is something that, if I do remember correctly, in the past few weeks, that is one of the things that the Biden administration has also done is they've made phone calls to people saying, hey, we need you to produce more. Speaking of presidents, um, the number one thing that I have seen across the Internet is blaming the White House for the gas prices. Now, again, I don't, we're not into, poli we're not, despite the fact that I enjoy talking about politics, we're not going to, this is not what this podcast is about, but it, regardless of what party is in the White House, like what, can, how much control over gas prices does a U.S. president for U.S. government even for that matter have? That is a, a an important question and an important thing for people to understand because, there, there's a few different factors. In unprecedented times, 
back when I lived in Illinois growing up, I remember there were periods where the governor would say, we are going to cut five cents off the, the gas tax, which was a state tax. That is technically something Biden could say, we need an executive order to lower the taxes on gas. Like, I think he could do that, maybe. So that's like one thing that the president physically could directly do. One thing that was done, along with the banning of Russian oil imports, which was not just the president, that was something that all of Congress signed on. Right. Well, and, and that was, increased. Right. That increased the prices. Yeah, that increased. Or I the guess prices. will be increasing. That is a that is that directly impacts the prices. But that was a congressional decision. What was done was also releasing sixty million barrels of oil from the strategic oil reserves. So that is something that is eventually going to lower prices or it will at least alleviate some of that price pain of the Russian oil that is now not going to be getting onto the market. The other things that most people may not be privy to, this past week I was at this conference called Sarah Week. To put it bluntly, there are CEOs and executives of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. There were secretaries of state, ministers of energy, multiple senators, multiple representatives were there. During one of the talks, which was specifically focused on the Ukrainian-Russian conflict and was a talk that was right after the congressional decision to ban Russian oil imports. In that talk, we ended up basically asking that question, like, what is the president doing to help taxpayers at the pump? And this was one of the the White House aides, somebody very high up, who basically flew in from D.C. because he was working up until his his flight. (laughs) And he said, despite what many people think, President Biden has been on the phone for the past months talking to major oil companies to tell them, we think this is what's going to happen. It is obviously going to affect your business. We can't tell you how to run your business, but it would help the country if you can ramp up production. It's all closed door and it's all hearsay, but those are things that I think the general populace doesn't hear about and doesn't know about. When, when, when crap hits the fan, everyone wants someone to blame. Are the oil companies to blame or is this or is there no one to blame and we are all just hot messes floating around? Yeah, I think it's more everybody's hot messes floating around. Is that what you said? Was that the phrase? <laughs> I didn't know how to describe our hot state of hot mess. But I think I think that that is but that if, is the but, case. But but why didn't the domestic companies assuming what that's that story is true? Yeah. Why did they not up their production. I guess there's there's two ways to think about it. One, we didn't completely know if Russia was going to invade. So all of that was based on the best information that they could have. By the time that we kind of did know, which was maybe three or four weeks ahead of time, you don't really have the ability to ramp up production. Your wells are online. The wells that aren't online are currently being drilled or waiting on a drill rig 
or waiting to be completed. So you're waiting to actually get more production online. So even with two, three months notice, you're not necessarily going to be able to increase your production rate. Uh, all I hear is excuses, Joe. <laughs> well, yeah. Have have the Do we have confirmation of any oil, domestic oil companies that are ramping up production to meet the crazy demand? No, I think we do. Who? I think I need receipts. <laughs> you need receipts. I need receipts. Well, I haven't looked. I haven't looked at the receipts lately, but I have seen on LinkedIn there are several companies who are increasing their drilling budgets. But what, what does that mean? That means they're going to drill more wells. Okay, but that is like a long-term situation. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, it is a long-term situation. You need more wells to produce more oil. So do we just not have any oil right now? We don't have any active wells that we could get oil out of. Active wells to produce more oil. Is that what you're... Yes, that's what you're saying. That do require no additional drilling. That are already there. We've already drilled it I, and they are producing I'm oil. I'm going to introduce you to a brand new term. Oh, Lord. It's called ducks. Ducks? That is drilling uncompleted. So D-U-C. Ducks. Whenever there are drilling operations... More often than not, you will drill the well, but you will not complete it. So there's the act of, there's the part of drilling a well and making it and getting it there almost ready for producing oil, but then you have to go in and complete it. That is the whole step of fracking the well. And so you don't necessarily drill the well and then frack the well and then put it online immediately. There are no immediate online wells. There may not be, no. If we, if heaven forbid, the rest of the world was nuked and we were left on an island of the United States of America all alone, we would not have oil? We are the largest producer of oil. Okay, so then how? So we, I don't, are, okay, so, yeah. we are actively producing. I literally said, are we actively <laughs> producing oil? We are actively producing oil. And then you Does introduced mean, me to ducks. <laughs> that doesn't mean that we can actively produce more oil than what we are currently producing. Can we not export that oil and keep it internally? So that's a good question. The answer is no, we cannot. <laughs> here's, the, here's the problem. Because we with, have signed contracts? No, no. I mean, we might have signed contracts. We'll piss other people but off. But here's the problem. All of our refineries, or the majority of our refineries, are made for heavy crude oil. Crude oil is what you pull out of the ground that you then turn into gasoline and diesel and jet fuel and kerosene. And petroleum jelly. And petroleum jelly and heating oil and plastic bags and phone covers. And anything made out of petroleum. And asphalt and tires. So where I was going with that is that our refineries are for heavy crudes, whereas right now a majority of the oil we're producing are from shale plays. And those are light crudes. That means that we export our oil and we import other people's oil. And those are two different oils. Basically, we're getting like green oil while we're exporting red oil. Okay, pause. So the oil that we produce internally is not the oil that we can use in our cars. (laughs) So the... Such an odd question. You need to talk to more normal people so that you're better at explaining this. The oil that we produce 
we cannot turn into gasoline with our refineries. With our refineries. With our refineries. Whose refineries can we do that with? Where are we sit where are we sending our what countries are we sending our oil to to get turned into gasoline and then shipped back to us? That's a good question. I you don't, don't know. know the answer to that question? Well, so I do know part of the answer. What do you do for a living, Joe? <laughs> it's been too I do, long. I, I do need geothermal. to know so what you do. You're, you're talking about midstream and downstream you parts of the business. You represented yourself as an expert no. on the topic. <laughs> you do. You're talking about midstream and downstream. I am upstream. <laughs> what I do is Why I, are we interviewing you? I stick, <laughs> I stick my heads in the rocks and I extract that energy. It is apparent. It is apparent. <laughs> no, I know a lot okay, of answers. Look, I don't really feel like I've learned it. Like I, I'm still, I'm pro- possibly more confused now than I started. <laughs> so let's move on to these other questions. Okay, well, hold on. Back to the other question, and keep it short. We don't. Again, I don't. I don't ain't got time for a textbook. When can we expect gas prices to go back down, or is five dollars a gallon going to be the new normal for a long time? No, once supply and demand are back into equilibrium, I think prices will drop back down. And there is also that fear factor right now of what is going to happen to the Russian oil. Right. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I think, and when that ban was, was stated last week, prices for oil shot up to, I think the highest I saw was 125 or 130, 125 or $130 a barrel. And today, when I looked, they were at $105 a barrel. Once supply and demand is back in equilibrium, and once people are less fearful, once we kind of know what's going on, I think prices will start dropping. Uh, this makes me think of, like, was it last year that like... Oil went to negative yeah, $37? Yeah, it was like negative $37. Yeah. What a time to be alive for the oil and gas market. It has got some whiplash. Okay, we got some fun questions. Is there anything else you'd like to say about that stuff before we go in a completely different direction, yet still about oil? I do have something to say. Okay, go ahead. Do you want me to... I think everybody should ride their bikes more. That's what I think. (laughs) If you are worried about oil prices, jump on your bike and ride your bike to work. If you're worried about oil prices, tell your boss you're going to work from home. You know what I'd like to say? Yeah. If you're worried about oil prices, donate to your local food pantry. Because the people that are going to be hit the hardest with this stuff are the people who live paycheck to paycheck and are now, in order to make it to that job, they are going to have to pay more for the gas and thus they're not going to be able to put food on their table or get diapers for their baby or food for their seven-year-old who needs to study for a test. And so the food pantry would be helpful because they're going to need additional food supplies in order to make up for this vast difference in oil prices until the equilibrium comes to be. I think I think you should do both. If you ride your bike, you're going to help drop the demand. If you donate to your food pantry, you're going to help others. One other thing, I just want to touch on this real quick. Don't rush out and fill up your tank. Don't do that. Because that you're we, making it worse. Then you ultimately are going to create a demand issue. Because right now, the balance of the refineries, the ones making the gasoline, they will be fine. They will continue to be able to make gasoline as long as you as long as we don't all rush to 
the gas station and try and buy all the gas immediately. Okay, fun question time. Fun question time. Number one. Hey, can we produce our own oil and be self-sufficient? I already answered that. The answer is no, because we can't refine it. But if what about biodiesel? I love biodiesel. I want biodiesel to take over. I want second generation fuels to take over. The the biggest concern is that right now the primary feedstock, meaning what we're taking and turning into that fuel, is soybean oil or canola oil or some other food that is being turned into oil and now it's being instead of turned into food, it's being turned into gasoline or what about diesel. that what about that guy and this this I say the story at risk of completely diverting this yeah, entire no podcast. Worries. But I remember there was a guy who it was like the French fry car guy. Yeah. And French he fry used car like guy. all the oil the McDonald's or yeah. something used to fry French fries and turn it into biodiesel for his car. Yeah, so that is what a second or even third generation biofuel is. Something that has already gone through its first intended use, its first life, and now has a second life in being turned into a fuel. Those would be beneficial. Those are not impacting food. So if, we, if we're taking soybean oil and turning it into fuel instead of food, what we're doing is we're raising food prices. If you wanted to have a French fry car, yep. could you do that? Your, how much machinery would it take to turn the French fry oil into biodiesel for your car? There are a lot of steps in that, but you can get a book, you can look it up on the internet, and you can figure it out pretty easily. If you have a older truck, you could probably just pour that that oil directly in and run it. It may not be that good for it. Or you could mix it. <laughs> you can see. Or or you could mix it half and half with diesel and call it biodiesel <laughs> and just hope for the best. Oh my gosh. Oh the only thing I was gonna say We're not promoting that by right. the way. This just says, can we produce our own oil and be self-sufficient? I don't know if they're talking about their family specifically or America. But I will say that while we were watching the State of the Union, Biden did say that that is one of the goals is to have America be either completely self-sufficient energy-wise or or like significantly self-sufficient to where we won't be greatly impacted in the ways that we have, especially with OPEC, because we've always been heavily impacted by OPEC. Okay, this question is kind of similar. When will we get second-generation biofuels? There's still some research that needs to be done, and it it's kind of a chicken and egg question. Who and where are you going to start producing them so that they can be on the market? Funny enough, the Biden administration has all of this money going into infrastructure projects, or at least they're trying to get all this money going into infrastructure projects. A lot of that is geared towards alternative energy. Of that, second-generation biofuels and third-generation biofuels and alternative transportation fuels are part of that mix. So there is more money going into more research for more second- and third-generation biofuels. But overall, guys, this soon shall pass. We have had 
gas spikes in the past. I feel like in my history textbook, there's always a picture of like the 1980s oil embargo to where like everyone was like lines for miles outside gas pumps. We're not even there yet. I don't even see how that was was economic. You're going to sit in line for three hours (laughs) with your car running to go fill up two gallons. We'll have to ask our parents. Does that make sense? We'll have to ask people who were there. Yeah. I wasn't alive. But you know what? Going back to that biofuels question. Wouldn't us riding a bike kind of be a second generation or third generation biofuel? So here, I'm going to burst your little bubble if you allow me to. Okay, let's see it. We are extremely blessed. One, you work in the kitchen, so you don't have a commute. So riding the bike would be really easy for you. It's a long commute. We happen to live in a part of town that has multiple grocery stores and a walkable distance, for sure rideable distance from us. Um, if we truly wanted to, we could hop on a bike and we could ride to church. It would be, we'd be sweaty, but we could do it. Um, not everybody has that luxury. There are a lot of people who live in food deserts and also the only jobs they're able to find are outside of their neighborhood because the ones within their neighborhoods don't pay a living wage. And so riding a bike is just not literally feasible for everybody. So I want you to check your privilege <laughs> and I hear you. I do agree. I think, you know, we, we are too reliant on pollution creating technology and we need to change that. But unfortunately those, not everybody has the options that we have. I hear you. I see you. I would give two suggestions. One, look at your, at your location on Google Maps, draw a little five-mile radius and think about how can you how can you do more of your lot life in that five-mile radius. Me specifically or people listening? People listening. Because I would it's a seven and a half mile ride to church. I used to do that every Thursday morning. And you're right. It is. It's difficult, especially when you wake up late and when you're on on the road with cars. Right. Or like in it's our not, case, if you were caravanning a toddler in the little. Yeah, it's not exactly. It doesn't always feel fun or safe or or like you're doing anything for the environment or like you're doing anything for yourself or for the country. But. If there is a grocery store that you could go to within five miles that has a bike trail to get to, you could try it out a few times. Um, to end this, because God, how long have we been talking Do about? Do we have any more questions? We don't. That was really all of them. Um, I, I, I asked, they, some just came up naturally, so I didn't ask mm. you right out. Mm. Um, I read, and I don't know if it was in the UN Climate Change Report or whatever, but I read that we will be completely out of fossil fuels by like, what, 2060? Or something. That's what something said on the internet. So we're not even going to have this problem, y'all. Don't worry about it. We will have different problems 50 years from now. I don't know where you read that, but. <laughs> or maybe it's, it was 2300. Uh, I don't know. 2300. <laughs> no, 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 no. 2300 no, versus I mean, 2060. Okay. No, it was, it was somewhere recent. Like our children. Anyway. Well. That's it. I'm over it. I think it. that's a ambitious I think it's a, a good and ambitious goal to be to be significantly reduced in our carbon consumption in our lifetime. And I think we can do it.
Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you for everybody who has listened this far. I'm sure we lost most of you. But if we didn't, thanks for being here. You learned something new. Hopefully. You learned something new. At the very least, you can just look at the person who asked you and starts complaining about oil price and just say, dude, it's complicated. Right. It's I wasted an hour of my life <laughs> listening to somebody try and explain it. Just don't even try, man. <laughs> All right. I don't even complain about it anymore because I'm like, that confused. <laughs> I'm just glad oil gets from the ground to my car. I'm just glad someone else gets paid to worry about that. It is far too confusing. Yep. Okay. All right. We're leaving. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.